Hey everybody, welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. Who are you? Hey, I'm Olivia Haidar. And we are your hosts. Olivia, how's it going? I haven't talked to you in a million years. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's going all right. Dealing with Plague World. Uh, just traveled across the country. Yeah, that had to be intense. It was very weird. Every it, it's it's It felt like that movie uh, Carriers. Did you ever watch that movie with Chris Pine? I don't think so. No. It's, it's a road trip movie about like a, a future plague ravaged America. I mean, it sounds like something I would watch. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I rewatched <laughs> it while I was in, uh, you know, in isolation. Well, I'm glad you made it across the country safe. Yes, I'm glad to be back in beautiful Los Angeles. Oh, I bet. Just in time for it to not be safe to go outside for <laughs> extra reasons. You know, I miss the piss yellow skies of Los Angeles. <laughs> it really is beautiful. It's uh, yeah, gorgeous. It's like sepia tone outside all the time. <laughs> it's true. You don't even need to use a filter. Yeah. Like those old timey pictures you can take at the mall where you dress up like right, right, saloon right. patrons. And everyone is wearing bandanas. <laughs> yeah. That's California. Just for like you. the old West. <laughs> We're talking about a documentary this week. We're talking, I mean, more about an FBI surveillance program as depicted yes. in a documentary called The Feeling of Being Watched, which is a 2008 document or 2018 documentary that you can watch yeah. right damn now on Amazon Prime. And I'm going to say spoilers, uh, you should watch it. It's really good. It's fantastic. It's uh, directed and produced by journalist Asia Bundawi, and it centers around her investigating rumors that the community she grew up in, Bridgeview, Illinois, a suburb of Chicago, with a large Muslim population, was under FBI surveillance for years. And here's another spoiler, everybody. It was. What? If you can believe that. That is shocking. And it, it in a pre-9-11 world, no less. It truly, yeah. I, that was one of the first big surprises for me was that this started so early in the 90s. Yeah, well, there had already been the one World Trade Center bombing by then. Sure. So I guess it's it kind of makes sense. But the scope of this program and what it accomplished, which is zero, yeah. nothing. It's just it's mind boggling. Yeah. What did you think of this documentary? Uh, I thought it was really great. I, uh, I thought that it was by far the best movie that I have watched for this podcast, uh, which wasn't like a tough competition considering, uh, like the, I think the second best would have to be the Trump tape documentary, <laughs> uh, which is like a low bar to pass. Uh, but I thought it was really engaging, really well made and touching in a lot of ways. And really, I mean, and obviously hit very close to home being, a 
uh, Midwestern Arab myself, uh, who has since 9-11 encountered uh, my own very small fair share of uh, government interference in my life. I really found it deeply disturbing, but yeah, really compelling documentary. The stuff that goes into about the Freedom of Information Act request that we'll get into later, I found especially interesting. And it it speaks to something I've thought about for a long time because I have to research things for the countless podcasts I do. And (laughs) there are things I've thought about filing Freedom of Information Act requests over. But then it's like, you're really just telling the government that you're on to something at that point. Definitely. Yeah. That whole section was very interesting. It's such a double-edged thing where it's like, ha, I'm on to you. And oh no, now you know I'm on to you. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, especially when you're looking into something that involves uh, government malpractice uh, to then like rely on the government that you're get, you know signing away your information to behaving appropriately is very that's like a huge risk yeah because here's the thing our government doesn't behave appropriately no i hope that's not shocking information for the conspiracy (laughs) theory crowd i mean honestly if that in 2020 if that's shocking information to anybody in america then they need uh some help i i do feel like there's still this weird trust that a lot of americans have in our government when Stuff like this, like, has been happening for so long, and we've confirmed so much of it. Like, we have 16, either 16 or 17 intelligence agencies. And it's like, what do you think they're doing? Yeah, I think there's a a general need that people have to believe that there is, like, someone, like, normal or sane behind the wheel when that is usually not the case. Usually... The people who are behind the wheel are completely unhinged, like the guy that she investigates in this documentary, who is a terrifying man. Boy, is he. And he shows up at one point. That, like, seriously, one of the scariest moments I've seen in a documentary in a long time. It's intense. Yeah, really is. The documentary starts with such a crazy story. It's the story of her when she was 16. She gets woken up in the middle of the night by a light shining in her bedroom, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning. She looks out the window and sees two dudes on top of a telephone pole, and she goes and tells her mom, and her mom is like, oh, relax. It's probably just the FBI. (laughs) I simultaneously love and hate that story. Yeah. It's unfortunate that any community would be that comfortable with FBI surveillance, but also- Wow, what a reaction. Yeah, well, her her mom is probably my favorite character in the whole documentary. She rules. Yeah, her mom's great. And yeah, she talks about being interviewed by the FBI after they just show up at her door at one point to ask her yeah. questions at some point in the 90s. And her daughter, who is the, the filmmaker, asks how she knows she wasn't just being paranoid. And her mom's like, oh, no, everyone in the neighborhood will have the same story. Right. And so she starts walking the neighborhood asking if anyone has stories about being spied on by the FBI. And like one of her neighbors calls her a troublemaker, but in a really cute way. Yeah. One neighbor gives her bread, but refuses the interview. And most, yeah, 
most of the neighbors refuse the interviews. Right. But you do get the I love one of the things I like so much about uh, how this documentary is shot is you do get a sense of the the community that she grew up in and how closely knit and how like kind to each other everyone is like you said about the woman giving her bread like you that's not something you would get in a usual montage of people refusing to give an interview no and it's she mentions at one point in the documentary that those things about her community that they're very tight-knit and that they're very philanthropic are the exact things the fbi was investigating them over right yeah, exactly. It's just kind of the normal way of being in that community. Well, and it's like it weaponizes these things that are seen as like those are what you might consider like classic American ideals for community. You know, like they're very close to each other. They they care about each other. They lift each other up when things go wrong and you know, and those are the very traits that are turned against them by the FBI just because they practice a different religion. Right. And it's ironic that people on the right or especially like fiscal conservative types who yeah. are constantly arguing for social programs to be cut. This is the kind of mm. thing that they argue will just pop up in its place. Is well, charity will take care right. of it. The community will take care of it. But exactly. When a community does that, that same government is like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you up to? It's nuts. Christians should do that, not you guys. <laughs> exactly. So uh, some of her neighbors do talk and they talk yeah. about, you know, just all sorts of different fun FBI surveillance activities, cars that are always in the same spot outside the home. Right. Uh, cars that are always there when they go to the grocery store. Someone talks about people going through their garbage. Yeah, I mean, that's a classic government goon tactic. So everyone in this community has stories about being watched by the FBI. And right. there were two friends of hers in high school. They're, both of their dads got arrested. And yes, they were, yeah. they were charged with terrorism stuff initially. And then all of that gets thrown out and they're just charged with white collar crimes, which is what you see throughout this whole investigation. It's a very like Rico style, like circumventing the law to like get someone who they want to accuse of a crime. Yeah. And no one in this community has been charged with anything terrorism related. Right. Nothing. Despite how vast this program was which we'll get to later no one was ever charged with like all of the charges ended up being like tax fraud stuff right yeah even like their big the big case that they talk about it you know uh with salah is basically it never comes down to terrorism charges or it comes down to yeah tax fraud and stuff yeah one of the the cases the the person is like literally taken off the terrorism watch list but by that point yeah the story had run its course and no one. So that guy was terrorist the rest of his life, basically. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's the thing about the that watch list. It never really goes away. So she goes to the local library to start researching claims of this surveillance, which uh, thanks to COVID is a thing you can't even do right now. I don't think can't do it in L.A. No, I did enjoy her figuring out how to use microfiche. 
That was a fun detail because it's so difficult to use microfiche. Yeah, I don't know how much editing was involved there, but I was actually very impressed with how quickly she figured it out. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I'm sure there were a few uh, mistakes. That that is a, It's a difficult technology. Yeah, I used to work for Target, but in like their credit card processing area. And I had to change, I had to change this roll of film that was on one of these scanner machines, like once a month. And it was the most labor intensive nightmare of a task. Yeah. And I imagine researching something on microfiche has to be the same way. I mean, I've never done like hardcore research like she did, but I, I come from a whole family of librarians and uh, so I've definitely had my fair share of misadventures with microfiche. So she, in her microfiche journeys, finds that the FBI has been investigating the Bridgeview Mosque, which is her community, since 19 goddamn 80. Yeah, fucking crazy. And she talks to a journalist who reported on the investigation back in the day. And that journalist tried to get the FBI to tell her why this investigation was happening. And they said even just telling her that would threaten national security. Oh, that's uh, of course. That's very convenient. Yeah. What a handy answer. But they did eventually find out the name of the operation. Operation Vulgar Betrayal. Which is and they talk about it in the movie, but that is quite a name. It's a crazy name. I always have wondered how especially like the the intelligence agencies come up with these fucking they've got to have like a whole department that is just dedicated to weird code names like vaguely ominous code names yeah they actually say that at one point in this documentary one of the uh, government people she speaks to says they have a whole department in washington right, dc right. that names these things and with a name like that i know this is an overly positive hope to have about the fbi but part of me feels like whoever named this didn't agree with this operation (laughs) and like you know you're just spying on american citizens right okay let's call this operation vulgar betrayal yeah exactly but also probably not who's because i guess it's they're betraying because they're muslim (laughs) that's like the whole thing i feel like that's the only real interpretation of that name and it's vulgar because they're like defaming god or something yeah i suppose that's possible too it could have been a real i have no idea real christian type who named it probably lots of those in the fbi i bet it i bet it was uh right who made it up himself he seems like the type who would have a weird creative grudge yeah speaking of fbi creeps robert wright is the guy who headed up this operation uh, worth noting, he was eventually kicked out of the FBI for racial profiling and religious discrimination. Whoa. Who would have thought? If you can believe that. And so she finds some files about Operation Vulgar Betrayal online, and a lot of it's redacted, but she's able to figure out pretty quickly that they were just surveilling, like, Muslim organizations in general, and especially mosques, like one of the groups that is the main target of Operation Vulgar Betrayal is this umbrella group that covers like most mosques in the United States. Yeah, or at least like regionally, like a very large area. And it's it's hard to 
I, I don't know how you would defend that as not being profiling. Like, because then yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're just assuming, well, I mean, it's a Muslim group. They're pretty tight knit right. and philanthropic. So surely they're helping yeah. terrorists out. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't see how you have any other, how there's any other interpretation. Like they obviously have their legalese defense of it, but even that is pretty thin as far as it goes. Yeah. And the, in a really weird twist, one of the main, uh, the the person who kind of inspires Operation Vulgar Betrayal is this guy who was living in the same house as the filmmaker when she was a child, and yeah. he, he ends up getting arrested, and the right. house gets seized by the government. And he's one of the people in the neighborhood that they end up arresting and labeling him a terrorist right away, and as time goes on, it turns out he's not. But by that point, the story has spread through the media that way. They hold him on like tax charges and stuff. Is that that's the that's the uh, the uh, the guy? I think his name is Salah, right? Right. Uh, and he was like the biggest name that like they were able to catch from this in from this investigation, and he they still didn't get him on terrorism. Yeah, like he's the biggest name, and he's not a name at all, really. Right which is uh, a lot of time and resources spent on nothing, on just spying on people because they are not white. Yep. Not white, not Christian. Yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. I would love, we'll never know, but I would love to know how much money was spent on this operation since the eighties. Yeah. And in the file, she looks at, it says they intended to interview 500 people. And that's actually a, that's a pretty important number uh, once this documentary wraps up, which it doesn't, it's kind of a frustrating conclusion that this documentary comes to uh, because of the government. Yeah. There's, there's no real conclusion that they can really come to. There's no uh, closure really because it's still ongoing. One of the craziest parts to me in the big, at least the the beginning part of this documentary, because there are some really crazy crazy moments it's got it's got twists and and like and like we said at the start you guys should really it's it's on amazon prime you should check it out it's a really good documentary yeah it it should be a movie like it it would be a really good movie yeah i would love to watch a narrative like fictional movie about it and one of the craziest parts in the beginning is after she's gotten all these documents online about operation vulgar betrayal and she's going through all this stuff with her family and there's things in the these documents that match up to things in her childhood even through all that there i think it's her brother when they're eating dinner is still like okay were the people wearing fbi hats when they showed up this was all 10 years ago yeah i mean you know i like yeah i get it i get it on both ends because it's like it, it is that classic, you know, she opens with the thing about the panopticon and kind of closes on that, too. But, like, it is this thing where you've got to believe in something, you know, to a, to an extent. So I get why, you know, someone might not want to believe that the government has focused this much effort onto their community for no reason. I, but I, I mean, like, I don't like I can't like empathize because, I you know, I obviously <laughs> don't have that trust. But, like, I understand. Yeah. So, yeah, at this point, she files a bunch of 
Freedom of Information Act requests to get information about Operation Vulgar Betrayal. And that's when she, like, right away, it dawns on her, like, oh, okay, I'm giving my email address to the FBI. Yeah, I had no idea the amount of stuff that you had to hand over in order to file a Freedom of Information Act request. Uh, That was all news to me. I was very surprised by all that. It's a very intimidating process, and especially in this case, because she keeps getting these rejections and having to refile. And it's really clear that the FBI has something, but they just don't want to give it to her. Exactly. And one of the letters she gets says they can't confirm or deny that they have a file on her mom. But her mom had also been visited by the FBI. So, of course, they have a file. Right, of course. Yeah. And eventually she gets a letter saying they found more than 33,000 pages of records regarding her request. That is insane. It's really, it's hard to even comprehend how much information that is. And this is just on her community. Right. Just on like a single small neighborhood, uh, you know, in outer Chicagoland. Yeah, it's a suburb of Chicago, and they have yeah. 33,000 pages of records on that one suburb of Chicago. Jeez. So the government tells her they have all these files, but they're also like, uh, yeah, it's going to take us three years to get those to you. Right, right. And I wasn't sure, was that because they were arguing they were going to have to go through them and redact each one? Or were they already redacted, and they're just like, yeah, it's going to take that long to print them out? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, just... It kind of felt to me like it was just part of the entire feeling of that she was kind of getting across of filing these FOIA things is they just don't want to. They want to do everything they can to make you stop asking for the paperwork. Like, you know, so they're just putting as many obstacles in her way as possible, putting her off, trying to get her to give up. That's how it felt to me. And not only does she not give up, she sues the government. Yeah. God, that's got to be a scary thing to do. Seriously. Especially knowing what she knows. Right. And yeah, especially with what she's suing them over, because it's not going to be a good look when this comes out. But this is also the United States. So like this came out and nothing really happened. We're supposed to have standards. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. One part that's really crazy, immediately after, almost immediately after she uh, sues the government, the city just mysteriously puts up a speed bump right outside her apartment. That part was so weird. She was like, I think it's so cars can slow down (laughs) when they pass my apartment. Yeah, no one notices. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those moments that's really good where it's obviously not clear whether that was a, a purposeful thing that's there to help spy on her or whether she's just being, you know, being understandably paranoid after going through all of this, but it's, it's, and it's purposely left, you know, ambiguous because obviously she doesn't know the answer. Uh, 
but it's really, it puts you right in the mindset of someone in this community where you're just questioning every little thing that seems suspicious or out of place. Right. And then days later, you get an alert from Google that says government hackers might be trying to steal your password. Oh, that was the, that, I mean, oh, I, I want to say that was the scariest part, but there's something later, but like, God, that really freaked me out. I had never even heard of something like that before. Yeah, it almost made me wonder if there were actually government hackers trying to steal her password or if in situations like this, I mean, granted, this this scenario requires a little collaboration between Google and the government. And far be it from me mm. to suggest anything, <laughs> anything so it's a crazy. spurious accusation. But what if instead of trying to hack someone's password in situations like this, the government just sends out that notification to scare people. Right. I mean, it would be I mean, just as effective. Yeah, I could see it either way. Cause I, like, again, I have never heard of that kind of a notification before ever. I didn't even know it was a possibility. Yeah. You'd think you would have seen like a tech crunch article about it or something. Yeah, or something, or like it would have been like a Twitter thread, or I don't know. I've literally, yeah, that was very surprising. Yeah, and this was in 2018. Well, it's this documentary was released in 2018, but this is all happening in like 2016. Yeah, because they vote in the 2016 election at one point. Yeah, that's the crazy part about this, too, is all of this is unfolding as Trump is becoming president. Yeah, it kind of becomes... About that and not in like she talks about it in any way, but like the idea that Trump is taking over the controls of this machinery is kind of underlying the entire film. Right. And that had to be especially tense when he won and to be in in the middle of this fight with the government. And now it's Trump's government. Oh, no, absolutely. So, yeah, all the people she's teaming up with on this all have stories of being visited by the FBI recently. Mm -hmm. And she starts going door to door and getting these privacy waivers, which are exactly what they sound like. People sign them. And by signing it, they're they're waiving any right to privacy when it comes to the FBI releasing files about them to the public, which is actually very smart. Yeah, it's very smart, but it's very scary. It's a it's a smart way to get around that. But yeah, that's a lot to ask people. It's a, and it's amazing that she was able to convince people to actually do that. Yeah, there's a there's a really interesting interview at one point. Also, she interviews a guy named Mark Flessner, who is a former oh, yeah. U.S. assistant attorney. And yeah. she's grilling him about the fact that this investigation carried on for years And there were Mm -hmm. never any actual terrorism charges that came from it. And he kind of tiptoes around the question of whether this investigation was based on Islamophobia. And he says no. But when he says it, it seems like his soul is trying to kick the words back out (laughs) of his throat. It's such an interesting moment. Very obviously being evasive. And uh, disingenuous with a lot of his answers. It was really an interesting interview. The part where they go to court is really fascinating. And I don't want to spoil that for people. This documentary, it's extremely well done. On top of it just being interesting information, it's just really well executed. 
yeah, very, very well made. Asia is an extremely compelling presenter and is a really good center for the film. And it's really well edited. I really liked it a lot. One moment I do want to talk about just a little bit, because there's no way we can truly spoil this moment. But in the middle of all this, there's like this hostage situation oh, yeah. at the mosque in Bridgeview. And it, it happens right in the middle of filming this documentary. And everyone right when they're like, right when the whole community is at this mosque, the yeah. FBI or just feds show up and they're like, Hey, there's a, there's some robbers on the loose. Yeah. Bank and, robbery. Uh Oh, and you all got to stay here. We have to lock We're you down, down here while yeah. we go, we go search for them. And it's slowly revealed that there was no robbery. There were no bank robbers right. on the loose. Yeah. They start getting contradicting like evidence. People uh, like one of the cops gives them like a different answer for what's happening. Right. And what pretty much the entire community suspects is that the FBI just wanted to be able to show up and search a few houses without getting a search warrant. Something like this provides them cover to do that. And they make a pretty compelling case. And I think it's Asia's mom who says like, we've had bank robberies around here before. Like this is an urban area. Like, We've had bank robberies before, and they've never done anything like this for that before. Yeah, she points out that there were like seven different police departments all on the scene the moment it happened. It's like, no, that's that's a coordinated thing. It was really bizarre. And speaking about bizarre interactions between law enforcement and the community, how about that meeting with the FBI at the mosque? Uh, oh, yeah, that was very strange. That was an extremely strange scene all around, just with between the FBI and community leaders. They have most of the FBI, their faces are blacked out, and you can still see the tension on their faces. Oh, yeah. Like, it's palpable. The tension in that room is palpable, and they gaslight the shit out of her. Yeah, and some of the community leaders do, too, which I think feeds into the panopticon like point that she's making at the beginning and the end where like these people the, the leaders in the community have even been frightened into believing that as long as they behave like model citizens and don't question anything then the they will stop being investigated which is flawed thinking obviously but understandable right and the the thing that they gaslight her over is a bunch of people in the area reported that the FBI showed up before Trump was elected and asked them about yeah. their political beliefs. Yeah. And someone in the meeting is like, uh, the FBI doesn't do that. Like there is enough evidence that that happened that you can't just do a flat denial. Right. And they do. Yeah. And, the, and then you have to wonder, like, does that guy know that they do this and just is willing to go out on a limb and lie in front of the whole community, or does he maybe not even know? Because yeah. I assume I assume in a culture like that, you're you know the things that you're supposed to know or that they want you to know. Right. And like then there's gonna be the the foot soldiers who have to go out and do community relations at the local mosque. Right. PR and shit. Still have it in their head that the FBI is pure and only about justice, which of course they're not. No. They haven't been for a long time, if ever. 
Yeah, like we know COINTELPRO was a thing. Like, yeah. I, I just, I wonder at what point it is that people think these intelligence agencies and law enforcement agencies cleaned up their act. Right. Yeah. Like, when do you think the CIA stopped being bad? Like, what, what, what prompted that? How did they reform uh, the organization that spied on MLK Jr.? Exactly. Like, what were the actual steps of reform? Did someone defund the CIA at some point? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, we prompt, we pinky swear that we're not doing any more coups. Uh, speaking of creepy government agents. Oh my God, this guy. How about Robert Wright? Uh, he was the the guy who headed Operation Vulgar Betrayal, and he gets word that Asia is looking into it, and this creeper shows up at her mom's house. Yeah, this whole section is easily the most terrifying part of the entire... Uh, this is where it just starts to feel like something is going to go wrong at any moment. Yeah, because she ends up calling him, and the way he approaches this conversation, he's so casual, and yes. like he's, he's giggling, but he's also being really threatening. Oh, yeah. Because at one point, he starts naming off the other families that live on the street, and he was like, oh, I know right. you all lived in the area, but I didn't know you were all on well, the same yeah, street. Well, he, yeah, he drops the name of, uh, he drops Salah's name, who was, you know, the big guy that they quote unquote caught from the investigation, which to me was like really letting her like trying to subtly quote, like letting her in on what he's doing. He's creepy in the videos from like 20 years ago. And it does not seem like he stopped being creepy in those 20 years. Yeah. He's somehow creepier over the phone than he is yes. in those videos. That is one of the most disturbing phone calls like real phone calls that I've seen on film before. Yeah. You can tell she's genuinely freaked out and for good reason. Of course, He's acting like a serial killer. He is. Yeah. Like he didn't just go to her mom's house. He like kind of like no. went door to door through the neighborhood. Yeah. Or something really terrifying and didn't ignore, like he did not identify himself in any way. Like she had to like play like when she, shows her mom the picture of him and is like, is this the guy? And, and like, and his, and her mom confirms that it was him. It's so chilling. Yeah. The scream she lets out when that happens is yeah. intense. And yeah, that would be terrifying. Like this guy, like, is this guy even in the FBI anymore? Right. It was really weird. What authority does he have to do any of this? It's just like an intelligence mercenary. God, so weird. It, it is very, it's a very creepy moment. Like he's so, he's so jovial on the phone, but he's also being very terrifying and that you only hear part of it because he refuses to let the call be recorded, which always a good sign. Oh, of course, of course. And he's very casual about that too. He's like, no, I don't want it to be recorded. Yeah. And then apparently he asked her if her mom was scared by him showing uh. up. And uh, when she so said creepy. yes, he just laughed. Ugh. Literally a serial killer. Like, honestly, it sounded like the fucking snowman. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very creepy. And again, I don't want to spoil these parts of the documentary entirely. But even if you just Google it, 
you'll know that they do sort of win in court. The feds are forced to turn over 3,500 pages a month until all 33,000 plus are released. And she actually finds out that they have files on 500 people in just in her community. Yeah. We, and I want to say, like, even if you know, like, like with any great documentary, even if you know the real information, like you can't really spoil it because it is such a well-made documentary that you're, you're going to be along for the ride when you watch it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was wild how like the extent to which like you already know it's going to be vast with 33,000 plus pages, but even still, it's really breathtaking. Yeah. Even the stuff she finds in the first few, cause she does get some of the documents by the time this documentary ends. And even yeah. some of the stuff she finds in those first few documents, it's bananas. It's so creepy to watch people read these broadly redacted documents and still be able to recognize moments from their life being described in a very clinical, like outsider way. Like that's a very surreal thing to, to go through. Yeah. Just to know that a government intelligence agency is wielding that much influence in your life. Yeah. And they, they, they really do because what they keep hitting on throughout this documentary is that, what surveillance like this does, even if it doesn't uncover anything, there's right. there's this chilling effect in the community yeah. where now you're like, well, don't say bomb in public. Don't speak Arabic really loud in public. Right. Right. Yeah. And like this the, is very much like the panopticon framing device that they that she has where she's talked. To, yeah. Like this whole idea that if you convince people that they're being watched in every moment, then that's going to change their behavior, whether or not they want to. Yeah. It's, it's Stasi shit. Like that's what, yeah, that's kind of how they operated is there. Like you just never knew if the person you were talking to was one of them. So right. like they barely, like they barely needed to really crack down on people because everyone was too scared to say shit anyway. And it seems like that kind of became the point of this operation because yeah. at some point you're not, you're not catching anyone doing anything. So you're sort of just spinning your wheels unless you can scare that community into thinking you're always watching. Right. Absolutely. Like that is definitely the main goal. And like, and that became even more clear after nine 11 when these sorts of, uh, Broad surveillance tactics went even wider and uh, against, you know, broader Muslim communities and Arab American communities uh, with like the no fly lists and those sorts of things. The extra security is just it's all just to make people conform and not uh, hold these beliefs and uh, communities that are considered by the authorities to be un-American. Yeah. And it's it's the American government doing that to American citizens. Yeah. As American as anyone. Yeah. It's on Amazon Prime. Even if you don't have Amazon Prime, you can probably rent it for cheap. It, it's probably even on YouTube by this point. It's been out for a couple of years. Maybe. But I mean, it's worth throwing her a couple bucks. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll we'll link to where you can watch it on the website. So you don't even have to do any work to find it. I mean, you have to go to the website, but easy peasy. Yeah. And, uh, beyond that, I think, I think that's our episode. 
do yeah, we? Yeah, I mean, they, I don't think we missed anything. Oh, we we did not talk about one of the best characters, which is her great dog, uh, who hangs out. I want to know that dog's name. Yeah, that dog rules. He hangs out while she's uh, doing her research uh, and seems very chill. He's, he's a chill big dog. He's he's a naughty boy at one point. She's telling him get in bed and he gets up on the on the couch. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. He's that's where the real drama comes from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, watch this documentary. Uh, Definitely. S- subscribe to the Unpops Network uh, at unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. Absolutely. Or you can subscribe to just this show at conspiracy.supercast.tech. And there you uh, go. Follow follow this show on Twitter at Conspirapops. And Olivia, what do you got to plug? Uh, uh, you know, stay stay home, stay safe, stay isolated. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at hi there hidar. Uh, and that's it. I mean, you know, go protest, be active, do shit. Yeah, and wear a mask, please. Yes, and wear a mask. All right, let's get out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you.